We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal, episode 194. I am really excited to have a duo on here. Rick Jetter and Rebecca Coda are authors of a book called Escaping the School Leader's Dunk Tank. And I think you're really going to enjoy listening to their story and learning about how it feels when people are trying to sabotage you. Really good stuff. It's one of the conversations that I like to have on this podcast because we don't talk about it very much in education and we kind of just ignore it until it happens. And then nobody knows what in the world they're supposed to do when it does happen. So the first part of it, we're going to talk about how to identify it. And then the second part of it, we're going to talk about what you can do to make it happen. So enjoy this conversation with Rebecca and Rick. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited to have Rick Jetter and Rebecca Coda on the podcast today. They are the authors of a great book called How to Escape the Dunk Tank, The School Leaders. No, gosh, I messed that all up. All right, we're going to start over. (laughs) No, we're not going to start over. I'm going to get the title right, though. Escaping the School Leaders' Dunk Tank. How to prevail when others want to see you drown. So, Rick and Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the Transformative Principle podcast today, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Jethro, thanks, dude. Always uh, a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Well, I'm I'm excited to talk to you guys because as, as I 
have said many times on this podcast and uh, in talking with you already, I mentioned that these are the kinds of things what we're going to talk about today are the kinds of things that nobody prepares you for. So if you don't mind, before we get started, uh, Rebecca, just talk a little bit about your background, uh, what you've done professionally and, and what led you to write this book. And then we'll turn it over to Rick to continue after that. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I've taught grades four through seven, and I taught about seven years, and then I moved into instructional coaching. And then I moved on to the district level in um, as, as a curriculum specialist in ELA, and then into a district role as a district technology specialist. And it's interesting because that shift from building leadership to district leadership, the culture really changed. And I knew that when I got there, but I thought I just had to learn the game. So I kept, you know, working it, you know, trying or trying to do what's right, um, trying to do good work. But as, as the years progressed there, you know, things just kind of came to a head, especially with just adversarial tactics, nepotism, you know, people working from the inside people working in silos, and it just um, kind of came to a head where I knew it wasn't a place I could work any longer. Um, and then, you know, at that point, I kind of connected with uh, Rick, and we kind of hit it off and had similar stories, and, you know, it, it kind of was where um, the book was born. Cool. Thanks. And Rick? Yeah, real quick, um, I've held every position in K-12 through education uh, for the past 17, 18 years, dunked myself and got dunked by others and <laughs> moved into a, a field outside of the public school realm where um, I'm a, a director of K through 12 education for a company in Buffalo, New York, which is very similar to Scholastic or BookSource. Um, and I'm their director of education. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start writing a lot of stuff. And then those turned into publications and turned into an incredible PLN, including Rebecca, who is uh, really, I, I kind of see her as my my other half in the, the publishing and, and educational industry. And we're basically forging a lot of projects together to help others do the very best that they can in K through 12 schools. So yeah, it's like, uh, you know, when things go sour, how do you rebuild yourself and, and, do your best to help others and contribute to the field. So I'm really in a good spot. I'm happy. I'm sober. I'm humbled and um, really honored to, uh, to speak with you today. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, I, I like what you said there at the end that sometimes you do need to rebuild yourself and uh, come off of these, uh, what can be traumatic experiences. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what that means when you say, the dunk tank and how people are trying to, you know, when they want to see you drown, what does that actually look like? What are some clues that we can get? Because it, it's easy to think that that is the case and say, woe is me and, and poor me that people don't like me and whatever. How do you know when it's really somebody's trying to sabotage you and when it's just not that it's just people disagreeing? I think once you start compromising your own beliefs, no matter how small it is, because you think you have to fit in or you think you have to please, and you choose not to do the right thing because you want to fit in with your organization, and you have what, what we call in the book proactive paranoia. It, it's that inner voice where you know it's not right, 
You can't quite pinpoint it. You don't have enough information to put all the pieces together. And that feeling might even just blaze by and, and you don't grab that. So with the dunk tank, we really hone in on you got to listen to that voice when it comes by because your intuition is typically right on. So when you notice behaviors, things, even the smallest things like, you know, clicks, whispering, um, or it could be something as big as sabotage where you're all of a sudden given 10 projects and you're already working 14 hour days and you know you can't do them, but you know you were given the project so that you would fail, you know, uh, it, it can range anywhere in between there. So there are things where, you know, there are high expectations for school leaders and I think rightfully so you've, you've got a lot of responsibility. Isn't that just like part of the job is having high expectations and there's a lot that you need to do. So how do you, how do you really distinguish that besides that you started talking about that proactive paranoia? Tell me a little bit more about how we, how we figure that out and what you mean when you say that that voice is telling you that that's not the right thing to do. You know what? It really does, honestly, at the end of the day, come down to relationships. If, if you've had a very amicable, professional working relationship with somebody, and then all of a sudden you notice the behavior of people around you change, um, you notice things showing up on your calendar, or you notice you know, emergency meetings, or you notice you're not included or you're excluded from certain things, you know, and just like the example with the work being poured on, Sometimes it's not because it's a high expectation and the job needs to get done when other people are leaving early and it's inequitable at work, you know, and people are not teaming to support like normal, you know, that you can just kind of sense and feel when things have have changed, when relationships change, like the whole dynamic and culture of, you know, where you are. Yeah, Jethro, if I could chime in real quick, please. So. In chapter two of our book, we go through the emotional triggers or these driving forces that cause people to act adversarial, which then we get into chapter three about, and they're different tactics. So we go through, right, all the human emotions within an organization and and that which we might feel, such as fear, jealousy, um, anxiety, all these different things we analyze in our book. And then when we jump to chapter three and we talk about the actual tactics that people use against us, right? We start to analyze those. And then when people leave the end of our book, they learn how to prevail, learn how to identify with all these emotional triggers and adversarial tactics that were discussed earlier in the book. And they walk away with like this tool chest, like, wow, you know what? I can explicitly confront these things in my organization when I see them pop up and we're going to move forward together versus um, hiding ourselves behind a tree or an elephant that would, you know, that we're not going to address. So we really break down things into very small pieces and we start with the emotional triggers that lead to adversity that lead to non-productivity, right? And, and rob our students and our staff from, from moving forward. So we really break all these things down into small chunks and we build, we, we create these building blocks for people to walk away equipped. Yeah, I, I think walking away equipped is a, is a powerful piece there. So let's dig in a little bit to the emotional triggers and then talk about tactics. And then what I really want to get into is how do we prevail even when thing, these things are happening. So let's start with some emotional 
triggers that you would start noticing if people are trying to sabotage you? Well, we really identify those. Uh, well, they're, they're kind of two different things. We've got the emotional driving forces. So when somebody is jealous or when somebody is skeptical or even when there's discrimination or somebody is being held accountable or they have fear, what that leads to then are those tactics. And so some of those things that we, you could really easily pick up on, you know, the rumor mill. So rumors start trickling around that just aren't true. Um, and those are hard to stop because once they start, it's hard to undo what somebody's initial belief was. Sometimes people are just trying to slow down the organization. They give you a project, um, a task to do, you do it. And then they're like, no, it's not quite right. I want you to redo it a different way. Let's do it again. So sometimes it's intentionally slowing down the organization to pile up the work. Sometimes it's misinformation or leaving out, uh, like intentionally omitting information and leaving people out of the loop. So um, we identify 10 specific adversarial tactics that are kind of, you know, we talk about launching the ball towards the dunk tank target. That's your ammunition. Those driving forces are really what are triggering these um, adversarial tactics. Gotcha. So I had a, a supervisor that after about a year and a half, someone not working for the district but connected to the district told me that uh, that she was, what was the word that was used, intimidated or th- threatened, excuse me, that, that she was threatened by me because of my success. And when he told me that, then what I started to find were ways that she was was doing that. And so one of the things that uh, she did is she would give me very broad, non-specific tasks to do. And then what felt to me at the time, like micromanaging and saying, well, you didn't do this aspect right. And so you need to redo this and redo that and that. And is that fitting into what one of the tactics that you're talking about? Absolutely. And that all stems right back to jealousy. So that that jealousy then triggered that adversarial tactic of slowing down the organization. And, and it probably all threads back to ego. And then Jethro, that leads back to the fact that we don't want others to think that we're not experts, right? So there's that inadequacy piece where, well, wait a second, you know, I'm really good at what I do. And I don't want other people to think that I'm not good at what I do. So I might cover up whatever it is that I'm inadequate about or spin something that that might affect the organization just so I don't look bad, right? So it's this whole host of, it's this domino effect of emotions and triggers and tactics that are used. And we we analyze that and it's it's just, you know, it's so funny because school leaders who buy our book, they're like, oh my God, you know, I've lived this. And then other people like teachers or parents or anybody who wants an, an insight into the political system of schooling, they're like, wow, we didn't know this existed. But you know what? It makes sense because those same behaviors take place in my marriage <laughs> or with what I'm talking with my friends, right? It's, it's this one-up or this expert feeling that sometimes people get, and we break all these things down in our book, and we we feel that it attributes to not only schooling and the organization of schooling, but really just human interaction in general. I would definitely agree with that, and I've seen much of that uh, throughout my career where 
you know, it's not just happening in the school. That's just human behavior that people are struggling with all over the place. But because we're in schools, we see it in that specific light. And part of what I think makes it so challenging is that we all claim that we're here to do what's right for kids. And those who truly believe that can be altruistic about that and can be focused on that. But then other people who you know, who their ego is too big or they're too threatened by other people's success and can't can't share the the success with others, they are certainly not in it for kids because if they were, then it wouldn't matter who was doing what and who was being successful. We'd be celebrating everyone's success. So, you know, that aspect of it is is one thing that's really hard for me to deal with because I feel like we are mostly altruistic until we till we get threatened. Can you help me unpack that a little bit? I'm going to let you start on that one, Rick. Well, the the part that we need to realize is, okay, are we going to be threatened about it or are we going to address it? And time and time again, Rebecca and I get emails, we get phone calls, we get texts through Twitter. We get all these messages from people who say, what do I do? How do I handle this? And there's really only a few choices, right? It's number one, you either ignore it. Number two, you don't address it and you enable it. Or three, you explicitly address it and you move forward, right? And when people kind of think about that, they're like, wow, you want me to address that? And it's like, okay, well, if you don't, are things going to get any worse? Like, really, are are things going to get any worse than they are by you ignoring things and letting the system continue forward in the in the wrong-headed manner that it's in? Or are you going to grab that elephant by the trunk and say, you know what, here's what's going on in our system. I want to talk about it. And we're not leaving this room until we figure it out. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that's not a bad thing half the time. That it's something that empowers people to be a leader and not to cower. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, it does. I was going to say, that's actually the point in which I failed. Um, Because I was in an organization and we were bringing on um, a new position. And it was somebody that I knew. And it was somebody that I had groomed and worked really hard alongside that person grew a lot and was coming into the organization. I just set that person up for success. I made sure they had everything that they needed um, as far as supplies, books, and, you know, mentorships, files on the computer. Like I just gave her everything that she would possibly need to be successful. And within weeks, I saw like a complete 180 in personality. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was out of the picture and she had, I, I had discovered she just kind of used me to get to where she wanted to be and then kind of fell off the wagon and, and really truly wasn't um, there for the kids anymore. wasn't there for the right reason. And I just, it was, it felt so personal and it triggered so many emotions. I just didn't deal with it. Um, and so had I faced that elephant in the room, like we talk about in the book, when it's small, you know, and you work through those emotions and you kind of call it out like it is, those will dwindle and go away and deescalate. But the more that you avoid and you don't hit those issues head on, they only get bigger and bigger, uh, you know, until you it, get, it reaches a point that you just you kind of can't stand it anymore. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the thing that happened with with me is that I'd been with that person for a while and had asked for a letter of recommendation to become a to move on in my career. And I wasn't getting the letter of recommendation. I asked like in uh, Thanksgiving time and just wasn't getting it, wasn't getting it, what isn't getting it. And meanwhile, I was, the relationship was changing and I was getting these additional expectations and the micromanaging and things like that. And I just didn't, I didn't see it in time to do something to to save the relationship or anything like that. And so, you know, time just went on. And by the time, like, you know, at the end of January came around and I said, Hey, like, you know, the jobs are posting right now and I need the letter of recommendation. Then it was, Oh, well, you're not ready. And I don't think that you should be a a principal. I think you need to go get some experience someplace else. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, why didn't we have this conversation six months ago when you could have been working with me to help me improve? And th- when you talk about emotions that came up, I was I was mad. I was depressed. I was embarrassed. I was angry. I was frustrated. I mean, all of that stuff. I was it was so raw. And even now, as I think about it, I still get fired up about it because it just felt so wrong that that I was never told before. And meanwhile, I'm naively going along thinking that everything's just hunky dory and fine. Right. Right. And, and that was the worst part of it is I thought everything was good, but it wasn't. Right. No, it's a disaster zone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, it's a living. I mean, people call me, they're like, this is a nightmare. I can't believe I want to crawl under the covers. Yeah, totally. And wasn't that a great episode? Man, I just loved talking to those two. And it gets even better in next week's installment. So please be sure to stay tuned for that one. And we will see you next week on Transformative Principle. But before I go, I do want to ask you to share this with somebody who might be struggling with some people in their schools because that does happen. You know it. I know it. We all know it. Thanks so much. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.